You're listening to Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. I'm Chance. I'm Sarah Catherine. We're a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals working to protect our planet and ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with the Sun Valley Forum in Sun Valley, Idaho, and was made possible through a generous donation by the Nancy P. and Richard K. Robbins Family Foundation. The Sun Valley Forum is an intergenerational meeting of forward-thinking professionals that come from a diverse range of disciplines. These experts are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the fight for our future, and they've all come together at the Sun Valley Forum to share ideas and collaborate on solutions for a greener tomorrow. Let's get to the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We're here in Sun Valley, Idaho at the Sun Valley Forum, and we are very excited to be talking with Frank Niepold. He is the Senior Climate Education Program Manager and Coordinator at NOAA's Climate Program Office. Welcome to the show. That's awesome. So excited <laughs> to be here with you. So let's start out. NOAA is a huge organization, right? The National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. They have their fingers in a lot of pies. They do a lot of really, really cool things. They do. How do you specifically fit into the overall mission at NOAA? Ooh, that's a big question. <laughs> so so one, one of the things, so I've been at NOAA 16 years, about to start my 17th year. And what I've found in our time is, so climate is a critical piece of NOAA's work, always has been. But in my 16, coming up on 17 years, um, it has moved across the agency. So fisheries, a really big part of what we do, is now climate is there. Weather service, it's there. Satellite service, it's there. You know, it's just moving all the way across our mission space into our partnerships and then our higher level work under this administration. So as a coordinator, I'm working with people from all over the agency, but then all over other agencies as well, like, you know, Department of Interior. I just got a request from the Department of Education to help them. So we, we're kind of like that enduring climate focus in the federal government. Sometimes other agencies come into climate and it's a priority and then it goes and then it comes and it goes. That's not how NOAA works. NOAA, it's just steady on. The lighthouse never moves. How did you find yourself in this position? Um, so what happened was I was at NASA on something called Mission to Planet Earth. And I was also a classroom teacher and I did this, the international education program and I was a busy guy. But, you know, that's just like 2003 climate was just kept on rising inside of me as it's an emerging important issue. At the same time, NASA started really exploring the moon Mars mission. And I was like, why? <laughs> um, I'm on mission to planet Earth. And uh, I lost that battle. Um, they said moon and Mars is really important. And so I was like, well, all right, who doesn't lose focus on the home planet? It's kind of the most important thing. So I started looking around and this opportunity to join NOAA as the first climate education fellow showed up. And I was like, huh. 
let's give Noah a shot. And I did. And I thought it was a long shot. And I was like way overqualified. Um, and I became the first climate education fellow. And then they were like, let's keep you around a little longer. I was only supposed to be out of the classroom for a year. And that has been now coming up on 17, 17 years. years <laughs> um, but, you know, they, it was an amazing mission. And I really found a home because the, the, the wavering focus on climate just doesn't happen at NOAA. And I, that's what I needed. I needed to have a platform that just didn't, you know, eye on the prize. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we've heard a few times on the show is just, you know, we're dumping all of this money into how do we get to Mars? How can we live on Mars? What would happen if we dumped all of that same money, resources, whatever, yeah. focus onto just how can we stay on the Earth? How can we not die on this planet? Yeah. Well, or, or, I mean, or a more positive question, right? <laughs> Which is because the, like, how... I honestly believe that humans have not figured out how to live on a planet, right? We just haven't figured it out yet. I think populations have figured out how to live within their means, within this ecosystems that they live within and thrive. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a growing focus of humanity in variety of forms, right? Because we just don't know how to live in a way that doesn't go beyond the planet's means, that doesn't contribute to climate change. And um, that's the grand task of our time is to figure out how to live on a planet in a sustainable um, way that is undoes the harm that we've done, whether it's the climate system or other biological or, or other systems in here. That's the challenge. And so being from an education, community, training focus, being at NOAA, it's really about uh, working with people to kind of figure out that. That's what we're talking about in this forum here. But ultimately, that's really the work before all of us is to figure out, I mean, you know, it's not something that's front of mind for most people, but that's why I work in education, because we have the ability to help you broaden your thinking. And, you know, how do we, um, you know, not many people think about like, wait, what? We don't know how to live on a planet. We don't. And that's what we have to work out quickly. Yeah, <laughs> very. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I, I completely agree with you that education is like. It's the key component in that, and that's a big part of why we started our nonprofit, which sure. we, is generally an environmental education group. So a lot of what we do is either going into classrooms or working with teachers to get our programming in classrooms that connect students with their environment just so that they have a connection to it and could then hopefully care, learn to care about it, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and I just, when I think about NOAA, Right. I'm, I'm thinking primarily about data collection and analysis because that's sure. that is sort of the image that I have in my mind. So in what ways is NOAA pouring resources into getting that data, the information that's being created into the hands of the people that need it? The first thing that I found. So I, I was a classroom teacher. I taught middle school. Loved it. I taught high school. Not so much. <laughs> I mean, I love teaching. I loved it. I did not expect my career path to change. Right. And part of what I why I'm able to do this for 17 years is because if I'm able to help educators of all forms, even surprising forms, be successful in helping people with this this grand challenge we have before us, um, I'm OK. I miss it dearly. I loved teaching. I, I love working with young people because it's so much more fun than adults. <laughs> and, you know, that's just me. Um, but I get it. And I get that I have to play this role and, and you know, and 
cool. But one of the things that I found in this work is that like I came from formal K-12 education. That was my training. That was what I loved. Um, and when I came to NOAA in this, this grand challenge that I, I was asked to take on to make the nation climate literate, um, I found that there were a lot of other modes of education. And then I, in the process, so you have formal education of all ages, right? You have, you know, and then you have sub forms like career and technical education. What's that? That's interesting. And then you start getting to the informal, nature-based, place-based, um, community-based. And learning is, is kind of in a much more expansive way. And that's really what we need to be looking at is all the forms of learning, you know, because learning happens across them not in any one is more important than the others. There's usually these, these like, oh, I'm an informal educator. Oh, we're the most important. And cl classroom teachers, oh, we're the most important. I'm like, no, that's the wrong approach. You're all really important, but for different reasons. But there's another piece to it, which is education has this plasticity to it. It, it changes when it rubs up against a different purpose. So if you go to an aquarium, conservation education is a very different form of education than informal science education, which happens at a science center. They're really different. They have different attributes, different comfort levels of action, which ultimately yeah. this learning has to go to action. Um, and so zoos and aquaria, totally comfortable with that. Science centers, museums, not at all. We just talk about science and then stop. That's been an interesting learning process of this work is I've gotten to know so many forms of education and trying to help them all figure out how do you contribute together into the learning that we need, as opposed to you're important, not you over there. Uh, we need everybody um, in order for that, that social transformational learning to occur. But at NOAA, so, you know, we have networks. So we have the National Estuarine Research Reserves. They have an educational mission. We have the National Marine Sanctuaries education mission. So if you ever go on a whaling vessel in Hawaii, the person who might be talking to you about the conservation education is somebody from the National Marine Sanctuaries, which is part of NOAA. We have the National Sea Grant, um, partly NOAA, partly state. So we have all these networks. That's, again, why I'm, I'm, so I'm a senior climate education program manager and coordinator. Coordinator because I'm trying to help all of these forms of education work well with our Office of Education, with the Climate Program Office, with the Satellite Service, with the Weather Service. Because, um, you know, every forecast office we have at NOAA, there's somebody called a warning and coordinating meteorologist. They're, they serve everywhere in the country. They go into classrooms. They talk about oh, wow. important issues. Those issues often come to climate. And they are one of our, you know, surprising educators. Like, and they do it. Um, they also educate, uh, you know, adults in the communities. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have a lot of modes of education at NOAA. And Congress gave us a really powerful education mandate back in 2010 that calls us to strategize, to work together, to, to coordinate ourselves on all issues. And climate has always historically been a very strong part of that. Uh, focus. So, and I could go on with our partnerships, but I figure <laughs> I've, I've, I've given you a slice of the, of the work um, and it's feeling for it, but it is, a, it's an all of us together approach as opposed to any one program of, of excellence. 
I think it's really easy for me to forget just how expansive NOAA is yeah. as a single organization that is actually like 19 billion organizations wrapped all together. Uh, I don't know about 19 billion, but <laughs> I, I'll give one of my favorite um, one of my favorite things I learned about NOAA is we have 10,000 real estate assets around the world. Jeez, 10,000. Wow. You know, now some of them are just a tower that's collecting carbon dioxide gases, you know, really high up. But other places, it's a facility that is has people in it who are advancing the no mission in that place. And so we've got people all over the place doing amazing work. It's one of the most collaborative organizations I've ever worked with because we all have this massive mission that we just don't have the resources to do by ourselves. So it forces us into this super collaborative posture, which is lovely to work with. I'm sure. <laughs> right? You know, competitive places to work with are not so much fun. No, definitely less fun. Yeah, less fun. <laughs> um, do you have any specific projects or ways of education that you're working on right now that you found most effective or most exciting? Yeah, so yes. Um, you know, so I, if I go back to 2005, where we started and where we are now, really different places on climate. Um, so where we are right now is at the intersection of education of all forms, training, which is both relates to education and relates to reskilling, um, workforce development, public awareness, public access to climate information, and then community engagement. And when you start looking at that big intersection of those modalities that really are deeply positioned in communities, um, what's the missing piece that really activates um, the change for the communities? As I talked in my remarks at the forum, you know, communities all over this country are deeply committing to climate actions, really significant changes. But the people of those communities really aren't engaged. They're not informing the direction of how you meet that goal. It may not influence the how these other priorities a community has that can be advanced inside of that, which is like you have disadvantaged communities. Do they have access to the opportunities that are coming with solving climate change? Um, the solving of climate change is going to massively expand opportunities for jobs and well-being for people. Those who are ready are going to have better access to them than people who are not. So the work I'm trying to do is really look at that intersectional nature of justice, equity, and well-being while also rapidly solving climate change. Um, what's missing is what I'm focused on, which is the infrastructure that allows people to know about each other, to work together. You are a conservation education media program. So how does what you do connect with others who are doing this work? Because we don't, we don't have enough coherence and a collective impact in our work. But in order for that to happen, I'm only one person. I need a team all over the country with people who are really good at building relationships, trust, and, and helping others be more successful than being successful themselves. That's been my special sauce. I'm always helping other people be more successful than I'm trying to be successful myself. And because I'm a civil servant, I am your servant. I take that oath that I took back in 2010 really seriously. 
Um, and what it says is, you know, I am here to help the nation. And, you know, that's what I do. So, you know, I think that that looking at that infrastructure piece, um, some people call it not working. Um, it's got a lot of different names. There's literature about it. But that's the missing piece that I think is really exciting because then we can actually have deep impact, which is what we need right now. Yeah. And one of our good friends, we've said this on a couple of episodes, says community over competition. And yes. that is really kind of what it breaks down to. And in all honesty, if you're helping someone else be more successful, that's making you more successful as well. So I, I think have it's, a hard time with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, you know, because I'm like, no, 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 no. You're pointing in the wrong direction. You're like, I don't need to be successful. Everyone <laughs> I don't else, need you to but... see me successful because let's focus back on that other amazing thing right over there. Yeah. You know, uh, that's just that's just yeah, that's just how I'm always behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my way. Um, I'm getting a lot of upfrontness recently and I'm like, mm, I do better in the in helping everyone come together. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate that. It, it, it is a community, right? And it is about relationships. And when I reflect back on the work that I've done that has had the most difference, um, I'm meeting people I haven't seen for a little while here at this forum. And these are people that I've worked with before. And I'm we're in relationship. What relationship means is that you trust each other. You, you appreciate each other. You listen to each other. You listen for where you can work together as opposed to let me tell you about myself. That's not all that interesting. Um, and so, you know, that, but that being in relationship is, is what has made really big changes in how this all works. Um, and so that's what I really appreciate and enjoy about this work. And, you know, it's funny, my, my son called me up while I was here and he was like, you're really excited. And then a partner I haven't seen in a long time last night at dinner was like, wow, you're still so excited about this work. And I'm like, because I'm with you. Yeah. I have, I have sorely missed being with people yeah. and, and get to do the work together and let's do it together. And it's so fun. Um, but that's, that's what I, uh, I love. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And we're, you know, we had to take a big break during COVID because we do all of our recordings in person like this because right. we're, you know, I want to make sure we have the highest possible sound quality and just getting back into the conference circuit and feeling like you're in the thick of it, elbows to elbows with other people who care as much as you do. Right. They're doing everything that they can in their sphere to work on the same problem you're working on is just I mean, it's, I hate like business talk, but like synergistic, right? It, it's, it is so much more fun to do this alongside other people than it is to do it sitting on my couch at home. But there's something that I think I, I figured out in this is that, you know, in other topics, as soon as you start touching climate, it is a much more natural state for people to be in collaboration than other topics that I've worked in in the past. Um, they tend to be much more competitive and you're, you know, even though there's limited resources in the space, there are, that's one of our biggest challenges is we're just not deeply invested in enough. And we've got ample evidence that if you invest here, you will make significant progress on addressing climate change. However, because it's so important and so beyond anyone's ability to call what I did as the difference. It puts us in in collaboration more than I've ever appreciated. I, I very much appreciate it, but I'm not appreciated why collaboration is the go-to modality for this work. 
Yeah, I've seen it over and over again. That's a really interesting take on it, that it's just such a big problem that no single person can be the knight in shining armor. Yes. We're all just fellow soldiers working side by side. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we by locking arms together, you know, whether you want to use school of fish, um, <laughs> you want to use coral, you, you know, there's many, many analogies you could use, but, you know, we're stronger together uh, than we are if we, you know, stand out. Then you're like, oh, I'll take that little easy little pickings. Easy pickings. You <laughs> yeah. got it. So, what does the future, like next five years, look like for your work? Oof. <laughs> if you can oh, predict the future. I, no, well, I, I I know what I'm calling for, but I I really think where I'm focused is in that not working space, um, movement or infrastructure. It's got different names, but is if if I'm able to stay there and build um, that space, then uh, all the people we work with, all the really important initiatives that are out there that are kind of, because it's not natural for somebody to work in that collaborative space when you're funded and your reality is really project-based. And so you need something that builds that center uh, there are different people who play that role. There are different attributes that play that role. But I've seen that as just is where we can have, um, as they, some researchers say, collective impact. We need the impact. Um, and I see the people part of addressing climate change to be the real Achilles heel. People don't understand it. They don't understand how urgent it is. They don't understand the opportunities. They're not. They're missing the signals. And we got to focus on that space. At least I that's where I'm focusing on. How it gets resourced, whew, I have not figured that out yet. I thought we might have had some shots at that in the coming uh, budgets because it is a federal function because um, there's a lot of really important working that's happening in states, but they're not benefiting from each other. So community colleges are making amazing inroads here. And that school system over there is doing some really great innovation. And that museum over there is doing some amazing work. But, but the connective tissue between I have something I've learned and I have a need I'd like to learn about, woof, that's, that's where we're missing the, the accelerator. And so if, if I'm able to figure that out, um, I think I'll add something of value to this work. I'm not, I'm pretty sure that's where the work is. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to get there, but I'm working on some stuff right now that should definitely lay the foundation. And what I'm really looking at is the climate action plans. They go by different names, sustainability plans, resilience plans, master plans, but they've, they really give us a roadmap for every community that has one of these. Oh, you are trying to do something really big here. Let's get the people involved. And, and let's get them involved to the point that they actually have, uh, you know, I've been joking around it recently, is the Rosie the Riveter time, right? Because remember what that was. That was, it was a war effort. And um, we didn't have enough people working to build the tools that we needed to win that war. I'm not a big war guy, but it's a good analogy. Um, but it was a call to women to join the industrial sector to help make this happen. Well, we've got a lot of calls to action that just have not gone out. HVAC technician. If we're going to electrify heating nationwide, and it's going to be heat pumps, that's going to do it. Electric heat pumps. And those electricity is going to come from renewable energy. That's how this all works. 
Um, we do not have anywhere near enough HVAC technicians. It's going to be the limiting factor on how fast that strategy moves. Same thing with solar panels. Solar installer, easy to develop. Electrician, to connect the panels on that system to the grid or to a battery system, we don't have enough electricians. Full stop. And that's kind of what you were talking about kind of earlier in the episode where you're looking at like reskilling or, or workforce development that if we're going to be implementing these things at a global scale, these are the problems that are, are holding us back that yeah. have to be solved. Yeah. But let's put some scale into this. California graduates 1 million seniors every year. 1 million seniors from high school every year. Do they know what is coming in this massive transformation that is going to happen when you transform power, transportation, food, land, water, all of those are climate solutions sectors that have to be radically changed. Um, there will be floating offshore wind turbines in California, floating wow. offshore wind turbines because the continental shelf goes down too fast so that you don't, you don't have a continental shelf to connect. It's too deep. Yeah. yeah. Right. That technology has been proven in the world. It's going to come to the United States. We've, the NOAA and other agencies are already citing where those will be. Wow. And, I didn't know we were that close yet. Oh, yeah. The first major offshore wind turbine uh, field is going to happen off of Martha's Vineyard. It's the, next it's the first big one. We only have five right now. There are going to be thousands of wind turbines all over the United States East Coast and eventually West Coast. Uh, there is a community college in New Bedford, Massachusetts, that has an associate's degree in offshore wind technician. Wow. Wow. The year that somebody would have, which would have been last fall, if you had started in that class, you would have graduated, not that much money it cost, um, with that associate's degree in offshore wind in New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is, happens to be the port of where that offshore wind farm is going to be. <laughs> How surprising. Well, they actually weren't totally connected. Um, it just kind of worked out that way. Wow. You know how many students started that fall, last fall, in that program? How many? I feel like either a lot or none. Ten. Ten. Because it's more than just the programs in the schools. It's the families. It's the, the counselors. Talk to any high school, college counselor. Guess what they're going to really be pumping up a lot? Four-year degrees. Right. The sweet spot for a lot of climate solution implementation is actually one-year technical certification or two-year associate degree. And the starting salaries are really quite significant. So, you know, we're just mismatched. You know, and young people, when I talk to them all over the country, they really are frustrated with how schools are working right now. If they hear about climate change, and that's an if, it's 90 plus percent problem. Yeah. That's a problem. They are like, I am, I got it. It's a problem. What can I do? What skills do I need to actually be part of the solution? I must be part of the solution. You heard it in the panel earlier today where a young woman got to college, she's like, whoa, I, she had her climate transformation. And she's like, that's all I'm doing now. Triple major. I've never heard of a triple major. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> psychology, world, 
in international business and um, something else, right? I was yeah. like, yeah, we what? interviewed her as well, and I think she mentions all three in her interview. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's just, I'm, that's a new one for me. But but now she's transforming all those skills into a different because she got the signal late. She right. got the signal late. We got to give the signal a lot earlier. And there's a lot of great opportunities for people if they knew how to get ready. And we're talking like seventh grade. You start thinking like, what am I going to, I used to teach seventh grade. They're like, what am I going to do? What do I want to focus on? What classes do I want to take? What, you know, what do I want to study in college? What internships might I do while I'm in high school? All that stuff happens at that age and we're not signaling to them all the really important things we need them to help focus on. Because in seven years, six years, they're graduating high school, maybe a career in technical education, maybe one year in a technical certification, and they can roll up their sleeves and be massively involved in the implementation of a low-carbon, resilient future in this country. Um, that's what we need. And I'm not seeing that yet. So, you know, uh, that's what I'm going to be focused on, very focused on. Until that happens, I'm working. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to see what you have up your sleeve to see how you're going to get this implemented. He just checked and oh, look, look what he's found. <laughs> what I'll is on my sleeve? You know, I, I, I could use I could use something on my sleeve. You yeah. know, but I, I appreciate that. I, I that's an interesting question. I, you know, I five years. That's a good. That's a good one. So we'll see. But I, what I definitely know is we'll be doing it together. Yeah. So, so to those of you listening. Consider, especially our young listeners, consider those different career paths. Consider those questions that you should be asking yourself of how you can get involved. And it's not just your typical path that everyone keeps preaching about. I mean, Chance and I had it in school as well, like four-year degree. That's that's pretty much it. Um, but it's not always that path. Nope. And that's not the right path for everyone. It's not. Just to make sure we're clear on this. We need... PhD scientists working on the next generation battery storage system and the next generation solar panel with higher efficiencies and, you know, and higher recycling ability. And, and we need all of that. Um, but we also need, you know, a massive amount of people who are just going to join the work, get it done. You can make a lot of money and then go back to school. So one of my colleagues talks about the braided river approach. If you just imagine a delta when you have all these rivers kind of splitting and crossing each other. Yeah. That's really the future of careers, right? Where you may start with a one-year technical certification and then you're in that for five years. And then you've, you go into college, get an associate or a bachelor's, maybe even a master's, maybe even a PhD. And, you know, uh, and then you move back into work and then back and forth, back and forth. That's really how we think. It's too linear, too simple, like four-year degree, then work, four-year degree, master's, then work. I mean, it's just it's just too simple. Which kind of echoes, it's really funny that you bring that up and that we were just talking about Sarah Chanun and the, the young students that were on the panel today. Sure. Because an observation that kind of struck me while we were talking with them is that people that are right now considered youth via the UN, which would be anybody 35 and right. under, right? <laughs> 35. So I'm, I am still a youth. Um, <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not really. <laughs> but people in that group, I feel like their paths and the the work that they're doing is so much less linear than the generation above them, right? So many of us have 
like six different projects that are all in service to the same mission, but are are not connected to each other. Right. Um, like I, I mean, we could literally list off like nine projects that just the two of them were working on in that single episode. And that totally ties in with this braided river approach that you're going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and that that is the future of what an American career path is going to look like, you know, in the next decade. So there's one. So I get asked a question about like, how did you become you? And how did you, you know, all the time, right? By a lot of, I work with young people, interns all the time. And one of the things I think is really important to think about in this space that totally picks up on what you just said is that, you know, um, there was a lot of yes in what I did, where somebody would say, you know, Frank, well, do you want to go to Saskatchewan and work on the Boreas uh, field campaign with NASA? We'll pay you your way. You know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> do you I wanna... would be really sad if you had said no. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> no. just, just so we're clear, standing in a black spruce forest with thousands and thousands of mosquitoes uh, was not my ideal. I mean, it was a, it was a memorable experience. Uh, <laughs> I imagine it was. Yeah, it was very memorable. Uh, I love dragonflies now because they eat mosquitoes, mosquitoes and I can hear it. There were so many. Oh they my were dra- gosh. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was surreal. But, um, but there was a lot of, there's a lot of mentors. There's a lot of people extending offers. There's a lot of um, just, just, taking the next opportunity and not knowing exactly how it's all going to work out. And I heard that in one of the, the students on that panel where she's, you know, when she was asked like, so what, what are you going to do now? You've just graduated from ASU. And she's like, I don't know. I'm working on it, but I definitely know being part of solving climate change is, is, is what it's going to be about. But that openness to like, I know what it's going to be focused on, but exactly how it's going to show up is I'm not sure about. Turns out to be a really important thing because it keeps your purpose and your alignment and what's relevant to why you do what you do clear. And then the exact nature of what you're doing. I never thought I was going to be a federal civil servant, nor a, a federal program officer. It's really hard. <laughs> um, and it's not, I was like, what? Harder than teaching middle school? Uh, they're hard in different ways. <laughs> there we go. It, just it's different. It's different hard. Right? Like the federal budget is like what? <laughs> you know how, what do I have to do? What's that form? What is this? What's this? What's mm-hmm. this? You know I'm a federal civil servant, so I'm like wow, this is complicated. Um, but I think that staying open to the the possibilities and seeing where those possibilities can go and and where the solution to your challenge is going to show up. And you never know where that's going to be, right? And you're like, oh, maybe it's over there. But if you're really authentically committed to what you're focused on, usually it will happen. Now, look, I have installed doorknobs and shower curtains and, you know, just because it didn't show up yet. Right. I've had to I've had to fill in some gaps you know, between things. But the, the reason that what I was going towards never changed. It just always would wander around um, from when I started as a Bachelor of Fine Arts student. To where I am now. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And i that's my lived experience too. It's yep. just being open to it and being willing to say yes to scary opportunities because the, it aligns with what you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, if someone wanted to find out more about you, what you do, or maybe reach out to you and sure. see if they could do some work with you or just yeah. more about your program and NOAA, where could they go? So uh, a couple things. So the, the climate program office at NOAA is a place to go, right? That's my, that's my home place. Um, I've got a lot of literature that we've been generating. So there's lots of papers that I'm 
authored or co-authored on. So that's, that's just another way of like, I really believe that you have to document your journey and your process and your thinking and your impact. Um, so, you know, generating that literature so it leaves the, the, the story, I'm documenting the story as we go, right? So there's a lot of that. Um, read it. And, and it should be, most of it should be outside of paywalls. But uh, LinkedIn is my go-to tool for networking and collaborating, right? So, um, you know, if you, you, it's not hard to find me. I think I said even here, there are only two Frank Neapolds in the country and I'm the younger one. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm super easy to find. Do understand that I am like wicked busy. So first attempt is not a no. It's just I'm just busy right now. So uh, nudging is always helpful. But, you know, some of the funnest part of most fun part of my job is like I get people call me up and they're like, hey, I've got an idea. And I'm like, sure, let's kick it around and let's see what where that can go. Because I'm trying to find as much capability and alignment to purpose I can get. And I'll talk to anybody. Um, as my, my youngest son says, what's my dad, what's dad do for living goes talks on the phone. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yes, that is technically true. What I talk about is a little bit more detail than just, I talk on the phone, but okay. That's a pretty, I mean, that's not wrong. It's, <laughs> it's not wrong. And I get, he's being edgy on purpose. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not naming you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to send him a link. <laughs> Well, this has been a delightful episode, and I'm really excited to hear about the ways in which Noah is kind of taking a, a leading role in the education of America as we go through this climate revolution that's about to happen. You know, I'm, I'm so pleased that Noah reached out and said, we see education as a really important part of how we see the nation effectively addressing climate change. So, you know, back in 2005. That was, that was very visionary for them to do that. Uh, it worked out. I've been hustling really hard and, you know, they got their money's worth out of this. <laughs> but, but it, the other part is, is that it, it's not just Noah, right? Because it's been a super active partnership. One of the, a lot of people who know me, uh, know my work. They're like, he's the partnership guy. He's always talking partnerships. He's always working part. And I am, I'm always working partnerships because that's actually how your little budget and your little staff becomes massively impactful. And so I'm always actively working with new partners. I'm doing it here, um, you know, and that's cool. It's the it's the fun part of the job. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hopefully we can catch up with you in a few more years Let's and see what you've done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love to see where you guys are going as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet, and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.